The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. When you think design conference in New Zealand, you think semi-permanent, which this year is celebrating 20 years of bringing together the design and creative industries and sharing the stories and starting conversations between some of the most influential people working here and overseas. The conference began to just create a forum for people who cared about these things to connect, and it's grown to be an international phenomenon. It now includes a studio that does brand and experience work for everyone from Google to Gucci. Simon Velvin is Semi-Permanent's director and curator, and he joins us now to talk about building the business, staying at the front of culture, and bringing people together. So thank you so much uh, for being with us, Simon Velvin, founder of Semi-Permanent. Tanakwe, thanks for being here. Kia ora. Hey, so tell me, like, this is like the 20th year of... Simon and Simon. Semi-Permanent. That's years. probably 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our years receded. How did, you, um, how did you come to begin the, the, the kind of concept 20 years ago. Yeah, so the semi-permanent started, um, you know, 20 years ago. It was it was really just a thought around the table. Um, you know, there's nothing happening in the industry globally. I think there was like two kind of conferences. And the background I'd come from was, was corporate. So, you know, there were, there were always things happening in the corporate world. Like you literally are inundated with courses and learning and development. And there was really nothing um, and then the platform started, you know, we had Banksy, Shepard Ferry, Diesel sponsored the whole show. Banksy is a real person. Um, and it kind of got instant pop culture from there. And then and then the brand kind of, you know, design in those days, art and design in those days, it was really an afterthought of the marketing department. It's just, it was just a thing. And then as the world's evolved into, you know, modern day brands and design thinking and all the way through to the, you know, design-led businesses now. Um you know, it wasn't there. It wasn't there then. So we we kind of just built it out, and we thought this is a great great way to do it. And there was no kind of rhyme or reason to it. It was just a good thing to do at the time, and there wasn't around. Awesome. And so, how do you actually go about? You know, so you know, paint a picture of us for us of like the first couple of semi permanents. Was it like you know a small group of people who you liked, or how, how did you get it off the ground? Well, the Sydney the Sydney one there was two there was two thousand people there, yeah. um, and that was cool. There's a bit of big exhibition. Um, with with Banksy, I think his artwork was sold for eighty dollars <laughs> on eBay after it wasn't sold at the exhibition. Uh, I think some of it was plasterboarded over um, in Murray, my business partner's father's house, and <laughs> which is probably worth quite a bit now. It's yeah, like um, throwing your Bitcoin away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Throw the wallet away. Um, and then they did the first one when we launched it in New Zealand um, with our agency at the time. 
uh, they that was cool. That, that was we didn't really know. We had no expectation for it. So you know, when there's no expectation, there's always kind of you know, when oh, there was complete fear and we're terrified. Um, and we were running an agency at the time, so it was uh, that was sort of one of the projects we thought was kind of quite cool to do. And it was sort of 400 people at the Bruce Mason Centre. Um, I can't remember years we did it there. Maybe it was two, but then we sort of grew it out and it kind of got kind of a bit of traction. Um, and the Grand Brew grew and grew and grew from to like 2009 and then we had sort of a bit of an exit within the company. And then I sort of, I sort of, I flew to Hong Kong and then sort of parachuted into there and set it up in Hong Kong. Completely uh, knew nobody. Um, and when I met some really interesting people who helped me sort of bring it to life there. Um, we had an amazing partner like Lane Crawford, but you know it was it was funny because like you know partnerships uh, you're supposed to in an event cover your costs. Well, that's in an ideal world, and then ticketing revenues all your cream. And but that never happened in New Zealand or to a certain extent in Australia. But you know as soon as I landed in Hong Kong, I was like wow, like you know I think I got a three quarter of a million dollar deal there, or maybe it was a million dollar deal. And it's just like it's completely opened your eyes around the scale that you can put these things on at. And obviously you see these big events in America and Europe and stuff. So that completely opened my eyes. Yeah, wow. And in terms of like, how do you describe what semi-permanent is and does? My mum asks me this all the time, so does my wife. Um, it's like Ted for the creative world. That, I mean, that sounds really lame. You have to leverage it off another brand. Like, it's, it's like a semi-permanent is a, um, it's effectively a creative conference. Yeah. Uh, we we sort of line the show with a series of workshops um, and keynotes, talks, and panels. Yeah, it's a live event. And then the people that you bring in, mm. how do you kind of go about deciding on what the right mix is of speakers and, you know, attracting people like, you know, a Banksy, you know? Like, that, that's extraordinary. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just that the... the uh, well, semi-permanent serves the whole... The, the, the complete creative industry, isn't it? So it's everyone like so you you, you you've, if you have twelve slots to fill, you won't fill it with twelve graphic designers. You'd have a you'd have a filmmaker, an architect. You'd find someone who's into perfumery, or you'd find someone who's into, you know, patterns, or someone who's doing something really interesting in craft. You'd have someone who's a, more of a celebrity. You'd have someone who's the complete opposite of that celebrity. Like we've had an even like we've had a Google versus and we've had an anti Google. We actually put them side by side together. So I think the, the curation again, the mix right around. You know, diversity, which is, I always remember when we first started doing the show, we had this woman who used to shout out, and she'd go, you're not enough female speakers. And this is 2005. And she's completely right, we didn't. And so the, the speakers, we had Vice there that time talking, and one of them took a, took offence to it, and the other one thought that was a completely true. So one got dressed as a female and came out, and the other one got um, came out, and he was half naked and refused to speak and spoke through a puppet. So we've always tried to, and, like, and like, this is back to the completely. But this thing wasn't even a thing back then. And like you know, we've kind of cottoned on to that. Like, um, and it was not through, not not through it, not through like wasn't purposefully. We still say, oh, that's completely true. So like you know, two thousand and four, like finding females in the creative industry was was really tough. A lot of them were illustrators, um, but now twenty years on. You know, it's, it's easy. You know, a lot of them, a lot of there's amazing creative directors, there's amazing influence. So de- designing the program from a diverse point of view, and I thought our best, our best show we've just done is, in Sydney was phenomenal. We had people from all walks of life, um, and that's really important around how you get that level of curation done well. Um, and then you just that you have to have people who have influence. You can't. If I went and got 10, 12 people that you know no one had a clue about, it just wouldn't sell. It wouldn't sell. 
Yeah, the, the brand, the brand, no brands, I think, no. Of South by Southwest, for example, we did a lineup, you know, and South by Southwest was much more well-known brand than, brand than ours. They put on, like, 30-odd people that no one knew about. Would you get 60,000 people there? You might get 10,000 people there, you know? So I think, like, you have to leverage the, the kind of the popularity of some of the names while kind of peppering in, like, an other sort of um, people who you believe are kind of moving through the ranks. Yeah, like the difference a Metallica makes to a Big Day Out. Even though the Big Day Out's a massive brand, without a Metallica, they don't they don't sell enough tickets for it to work. Completely, yeah, 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 yeah completely. And what's it like for you as a an event, um, you know, manager and designer, and you know, in, in charge of running one? As you know, looking at it from the outside, there are so many moving parts, and everything is so you know, like an all black test or a change in the national mood, or you know, the weather or whatever can throw things. And you know, what's the journey like for you of actually putting on one of these events? It must be a total roller coaster. Yeah, I think the more organised you can be, the end to end is nine months. So nine months is from like uh, you pretty much any project. We run sort of three to four a year of the SP product. Um, nine months is sort of the, is the piece. So you get curation, partnerships, um, and then and then you sort of go, then you let them sit. And, then, and once you've got them done, you let them sit, you sort of mull over them. And then once you sort of finalise where you think the programme should be, then it kind of just goes into marketing. So like it's not it's not as compli- now I've done it for twenty years. It's not as complicated as uh, you know, as you're sort of making it out. You know, the first one you always do is completely like anything you do. You know, it's difficult because you don't know what you're doing. But once you know the sort of intricacies around, um, human like like customer behaviour, speaker behaviour. You know, industry behaviour. You know, we've seen enough with like changing governments, changing moves. They all do affect ticket sales. Like even like you think about this one here. Like, like I said, we've had it's def- the whole industry right now is slow. Live Nation, one of the biggest promoters in New Zealand for, New Zealand for music, slow. The only one that's doing really well, I think, at the moment is is our Wow. Um, I think they've nearly sold out all their tickets. I still saw them selling some. But what's interesting about that is that it's, it's singularly focused, entertainment base and event base. So I think like that is the kind of some of that secret sauce is like around creating great experiences for your customer. It was really cool, something to do. Live, live is back, but definitely mood affects things. Budgets tighten up. A lot of the creative industries and design industries, it's all coming in house. So you know, previously would sell to the marketing department now we're still into the HR department you know so it's yeah and what is the kind of like you know like you mentioned there the guest experience like wow's become a thing because it's for a whole lot of people it's a great weekend in Wellington you know is the kind of vibe right what's the what's the way that you build out those um uh, interactions between attendees and those kind of like magic moments that people get on the personal level at these events yeah, the, the workshops are like the, the way different different levels of kind of intimacy we try and create is like we have we've got a partners and speakers evening we've got a VIP evening so we've got skate racing an amazing cocktail experience across the road we're doing we're trying to add in more we've got like a, a party at the end within the venue so people get to mix and mingle the conference is kind of very you know it's sort of it is one directional having a great MC is really important. Um, to kind of add to the glue to the show. But then sort of designing sort of experiences where people actually get to meet speakers and hang out with them. And that's where we're sort of trying to bring in the workshop pieces um, where they can get a little bit more of a kind of closer view on some of the ideas that have been created. Um, 
but also sometimes it's quite nice to create like it, we're shortening the work like we used to do the event on a Saturday can you do an event on a Saturday unless it's music no people want their weekends now <clears throat> back in the day we used to do Friday Saturday or Thursday Friday Saturday it's complete taboo now um, the we used, will we ever do a three day event again? No, we will not do a three day event. Too long. Probably five, four years ago, it was okay because everyone's into wellness and yes, look after your staff. And now it's like you yeah, want to look after you, but not very days much. So like two day events now. And to be honest, if I could do a one day event and make it an inch thick and a mile deep, I'd do it. Um, and that's around how you take over more spaces um, and curate it over a day because the production values, uh, is the production costs are lower, the impact's higher, people's attention spans higher, and people's kind of, um, you know, willingness to kind of give themselves to, a, you know, something else for two days is quite a long, unless it's a dentistry conference. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, like, like you say, dentistry, I mean, like the cool thing about this, this um, event is that it's become part of like the cultural landscape, right? And as like, you know, people in the That's your opinion. creative communities <laughs> or, or whatever, like it kind of shrinks the world a bit too. Like when you have the best of New Zealand creatives beside like people who are, you know, running things at a Google or a Netflix or a Slack um, and you see the, 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 the calibre of people and the calibre of ideas, um, it's really cool, though, for kind of shortening and feeling uh, like the New Zealand conversation is part of that global conversation. Completely. I think like the that's you bang on like the best things is when you when you see you know you see yourself or you see a New Zealander next to someone who you perceive to be um, you know the best in the world at it and I think all I've ever seen I mean I've met a lot of really talented and amazing people they are all wonderful human beings they are like seriously the most grounded human beings in the world um, and I think that I mean that's what you'll get out of like this, this year's event like they've got the you know, the guy who pretty much designed the Netflix product coming down. He is the most animated, fun, cool human being that you'll ever meet. Um, and he's just really clever, you know, and he's just worked really hard. So I think, like, the that and that, that's the more I've seen, like, yes, you know, hard work, yes, skill, but, like, you know, as, the only thing I've found, like, with New Zealand is, like, like what, what's interesting about the world is like it's still, still, it's all prevalent, that whole tall poppy thing, like, you know, don't be too good, don't grow too hard. You know, don't be the best, too much of the best. And, like, I still think that's still something, we, the hump we still need to get over. Um, but, the, but, the, but, yeah, the, the speakers, you know, they're all kind of very, they're all just the most genuine, you know, well-rounded, you know, soulful human beings, you know, that I had the pleasure of meeting. And I think that's, that's what I want to see people get out of it. I go, oh, okay, be a good bugger in this world and really give a shit and make sure you're doing it for the right reason. And and to that with the right reasons. Like a lot of these people that you get, like if you were just putting on a conference in America, one of a thousand, mm. you know, they'd probably have a massive speaker fee, right? Mm. Like what's the factor of the New Zealand and Australia for some of these things as well factor? And normally you'd go, if you're a 12 to 24 hour plane ride away, you'd up your fee. But what do you find for these speakers? Don't want to give away my. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. Like, like, so, here, so here's one for you. So, um, so Bruce Mao, hmm. um, you know he, uh, you know, one of the most famous designers on the planet, um, if you know. And how I remember his fee was seventy five thousand US dollars, and that was in I don't know twenty two thousand eight, maybe two thousand nine, between two thousand eight two thousand eleven, and uh, he just wrote that big book. Uh, and then he came down 
in 2018 or 19, and he was free. And all I did was look after his friend really well the year before, and I said, oh, I know Bruce, oh, I'll introduce you. So he introduced you, and then that trust and that, that kind of love that was exchanged in that relationship was transferred, and now it's still there. So I can get Bruce back whenever I want, I can work with Bruce whenever I want, and I can get Bruce's network when I want. So we do we do have, like, we've just built the brand of ours is just looking after people, so we've built that out. So the, But then again, like, you... Some people are on the speaking circuit and they do have a fee. Uh, and also you have to have a level of equality around how you approach people and transparency. So fees are still, I mean, like we've had like Oliver Stone, the film director, you know, he's a big, big pool name. He costs money. You know, shit earlier, like talked about Taika, like uh, we, I think we offered him 50 grand to do an interview. <laughs> and he said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> in Sydney, eh? he's like, so it's like, uh, so yeah, so that, it's all kind of, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of ebbs and flows around, you know, but on, the, on your point around New Zealand, it is massive. Like, like we uh, as a country have, it is a huge factor. It is on everyone's bucket list. Mm. It is a bucket list for like most of the people I speak with. Yeah. And then you're able to bring them over and give them a magic experience. Yeah. 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 And in terms of like semi-permanent is probably what, you know, lots of people are very aware of. But tell me about kind of how your business has changed over the years as it's now kind of only one of the things that you're doing as you've built out other elements to what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, the semi-permanent is our, is our creative platform. That is our front door to our business. It is a creative and design festival. Um, you know, we're in sort of four countries now with that product. We've built out a creative studio. So the studio services our partners. Um, you know, we work with, um, we've got a couple of big clients. We were like Google, we do the whole DE&I program and we run there um, called Rare. And we also plug that into a couple of our festivals. So we've got like um, Rare Sessions, they do everything from like how to create non-bias and judging, like Rare Judging. They've got a um, allyship program, um, so we've sort of orchestrated that with an amazing woman called Tara and at Google, and now that's their global proposition. Um, so that's one of our sort of big products we work on, and we, we play a lot in that sort, of, that sort of space around creating bespoke brands with, with people um, around a specific topic um, or, or curation. The studio side, we're working with like Inku, Nike, Gucci now. We're doing all these really rad installation projects. You know, we've built some good relationships with people like Daniel Ashram, amazing artists, and like some like Hayden Shape Surfboard. We bring them together. They collaborate on a surfboard. We run the piece, launch that. Um, so we get to work some, and we had coach ringers up the other day because we did this cool project. Um, but this, that sounds all glitzy and glamoury. Yes, it does. It sounds really but, cool. But, sounds but, but luxury fashion. They have, luxury fashion yeah. have yeah. have no money. Yeah. Like we were dealing with like Gucci. Like I don't think we made any money off that project. But it's still one of those things. And also, you know, they talk about it, but we kind of still do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's like, the, but there's no money in those things. They're kind of they're 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 an interesting expression, and they are a you know they they come with a certain level of. Um, kind of snob- snobbery. Yeah, put, putting some cool things into the culture and some yeah. of them you do for, um, you know, your own enjoyment, some for the book, yeah, some for exactly. the business. Yeah, I don't, yeah. And I mean, we've done, like, we've been working on a bunch of, we've done an amazing EV car launch. But the cool thing is, like, what we've found is, like, our kind of, the network we've developed, like, we work with, some, he's, look up this guy, Jesse Wilson, he's an amazing, he's a New Zealander, I don't know about him. We've collaborated with him on this new EV car launch in Australia for Hyundai. And it's stunning. Like so, we're taking all the best bits that we've done for our events, and we're putting them to these into our into our concept and creative studio now. 
and and it's just working. Like we just, we just did a party at Soho House, and it was called like the Party of the Year in, in Sydney last week. And we're like, yeah, okay. Like, and we didn't we didn't ask for the media. It just kind of got. We sort of just know what we're doing now, and we know what kind of brands are looking for. Um, and that sort of in the studio space, that semi-permanent hotel we designed um, was was a huge hit. I think mm-hmm. what was really interesting about the, the semi-permanent hotel, just to paint the picture, like you say, for it is like we took over a whole hotel. Uh, we worked with everyone from Gia Coppola, who did an exhibition, interactive exhibition, to Flume. We had like a scented room. All the rooms were taken over. People had no friggin' idea what they were walking into. We launched Polestar's new car. We basically took all the elements out of the car and smashed it to pieces and made a beautiful sculpture. So people walked into this thing having no idea. Polestar thought it was their event. The audience that we invited, like a 1,000 people into the, into the hotel, thought it was their event, and they were sort of walking through a hotel going, hey, wow, there's an amazing room here, and they kind of went to this room, and then there's a party down here. Um, Glenn Fittick was, like, launched a new kind of thing, and they had a cocktail bar, so, and they thought it was their party. So it was a really interesting way that we've kind of put a creative lens over a hotel with music, art, um, you know, uh, sort of like a fashion element, huge design element, and transformed a space into a, from a canvas into this new concept called a semi-permanent hotel. Heist and Mighty ran with it. Uh, from on a media platform, and it kind of again, it was like a little pop culture moment. But mm. everyone was like, everyone was the author of the author of the experience. So I think there's there's something really interesting about that. Like it's not us; we just did something that we created. But everyone was it was everyone's brand. Yeah. So and I think that there was kind of a, a, an aha moment for us that brands are looking, and this is like through COVID, brands are looking for different ways, and this is probably more than the experience design space. Brands are looking for different ways. To make impact, you know, you got PR. Everyone knows, I work with a big artist, and you do this big cool thing, get PR around it, and yeah, that's really great. But like, what is the experience like? Like, actually getting into nuts and bolts, and you know, as a kid, I used to love running through hotels and you know, touching vending machines and all that sort of stuff. So, kind of getting back to kind of you know, really understanding what audiences are looking for now, and and and, and just making people feel something, I think, is really important. Like, the world, you know, I'm diverging, but it's just become really plastic, you know. It's just become very really digitized and plastic, and like and homogenized. Eh? Like really you can go, go into any um, airport or shopping mall in the world. Yeah, same store, right. same experience. Yeah. Cookie cutter, and yeah, those yeah. kind of like real experiences. Yeah. they they mean. And do you think they mean more because people have been holed up in their rooms for a couple of years as well? Like could be. At this I mean, let's think about it. Like, mm. like, like what, what industries can be kind of, like the film, like the cinema experience. Let's think about that. Mm. Like the cinema experience right now, that could be completely revolutionised. Mm. You know, and there's big big film. Companies Companies behind us that you could kind of rethink it. 100% the retail experience, like we're, we're concepting a couple of things at the moment, architects and stuff. And like, what's the retail experience? I mean, the the, you know, the golden sort of like, you know, the, the holy grail was, I mean, Nike's always kind of battered above its weight around the retail experience. You've got your running tracks and, you know, the Nike ID, you know, design your own shoe and delivered to your door in two weeks. You know, those things are like, that'll make everyone feel amazing yeah. in a moment. Those, those things are the, you know, some real strong kind of milestones to hit. But yeah, the retail experience is still the same. Like, I mean, I went in the other day and, and it's a, I mean, bless her soul, she's probably going to shit day, but I was just like, <laughs> fuck, man. I was like, man, you're having a really bad day. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah, so that was crap for me, going there and buying just a, a jersey in, a, in Wellington when I was cold. Yeah. 
And what what do you think personally about you? You know, like you keep quite a low profile in um, all of this with a whole lot of high profile stuff. You don't do much media. Mm. You know, the, you're, you're not even on your website, I don't think. I had a little look around to see, you know, and do my normal research to try and find the New Zealand's a village, mate. There's enough bell ringers around. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, oh, these people need to do the mahi. So it's, you know, like, the, I, there's. Yeah, but the, the thing that you bring, you know, bringing these experiences together yeah. and thinking about how people well, are going to feel, and thinking like, about like, this I, know, I know what you're saying. I like, look, look uh, doing more media, doing more PR is more about you, and I'm less about I, more about we. And we is the creative industries, and we are celebrating the people that we bring together. So, like, it's like. Uh, do you want to listen to me? Uh, I can give you some insights. Or do you want to actually listen to the smartest person in the world doing something really in that space? I'd rather champion those people. And, you know, my jo- and my job is really to find, find those people and bring them to the forefront and also just connect them. I'm more like bringing the best knowledge into New Zealand, bringing the best knowledge from New Zealand into America. Like, you know, or, or that's, our, that's our role. You know, there is no, there's no kind of... Um, there's no kind of, you know, there's no need for us to be, you know, our brands in the media. Our brand is just a um, an echo of experiences we create and the speakers that we have involved, um, and the moments and the memories that people have. So that's all it is. There's no need for me to <laughs> sit there and be on the front cover of a of a of a magazine. That's not our that's not our jam. You love it, man. And we'll be back in a moment after the break to talk about the power of networks, the kind of people semi permanent connects, and what's next. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. And we're back with Simon Velvin of Semi Permanent. So... Tell me about your experience in COVID, because I'll bet having a bunch of live events uh, and a schedule and a business that's kind of really based around that, that must have been a really difficult experience. Yeah, no, that really was. Um, we, you know, I mean, if you picture this, it's like your industry just got wiped out. Mm-hmm. So like, my wife's a physio, and um, so, you know, if I equate it to her, I was thinking, it's like you're not allowed to touch the body anymore. So, like, the event industry, and it's not just us, you know, it's all the auxiliary parts of the event industry just got literally sh- turned off. So, yeah, it, it was really, um, you know, on a personal level, it was um, really hard. You know, I think I went through some form of depression. I think I went through uh, some form of over-drinking. Um, you know, so I went through a personal journey. 
um, to kind of come out, and that was kind of just a coping mechanism. Um, so I'm out the other side of that. But at, and on a business level, how do you reinvent your brand? Um, so that's when we did build the studio out. Um, we still, we still, we still did the managed to pull off the semi permanent hotel in that space, and that was a really interesting product. Um, we put the um, we had a project we did with Sierra and Daniel in Portugal that allowed us to also kind of work with COVID. It was, we designed this nine room experience of a twenty year music history with Sierra and her music director, and we kind of moved people through the whole space in a COVID friendly way. Um, but yeah, the, the actual semi-permanent festivals were shut down. You know, when we saw it coming, we worked with industry, you know, Alt Special and um, and uh, Auckland, and then the government around how can we give this thing away for free? Because we just thought the creative industries also, you know, was decimated. So we sort of thought well, that's all we can do, and then we just needed to sort of shut the door. Luckily, as I mentioned before to you. Yeah, we had two projects um, that we had concepted with Google and with um, Tokyo Olympics. That actually put the we didn't actually let anyone go. We actually put money in the in the coffers, allowed us to think, and we built the studio. So we built the studio out of that, and now we've come out, and the studio is two thirds of the business, and now semi permanent is just the front door, and allows us sort of to create an expression. And that's where I think we can really kind of hone in now and make it the best version of what it is. And this be a place where people can kind of come um, to find. I mean, you won't get like you won't get everything out of it. You just, as long as someone just gets one thing, you know, I think that's value. If you get one thing that sort of changes your trajectory, and the great thing is we had so many stories, even this year. Oh, yeah, I used to come to see me permanent. I used to drive up my Datsun 120Y from Wellington, and, and now he's a marketing manager of, um, of some um, brand we're working with. What's his name? I forget it. But it's great. You see those sort of stories come through. You know, people built businesses, changed their careers, coming to the event, and they're just nice. Those are those nice little wee gentle threads that, you can't monetize, nor do you want to. Um, it's just the industry that we're in. Um, what are some of the kind of your favorite moments over the years? <laughs> some of the best, yeah, I mean, Tiger was actually, I mean, before Tiger, I mean, he, he always thinks he's a rock star. I remember I said to him, I'm a rock star now the second time, he goes, because I always was. <laughs> he went, I think, in 2007, 2007, I don't remember. But I remember he came on stage and, um, you know, I always loved that came a hot Friday Billy T. James film, and he and he played this video of him running around with a gold jacket on K Road with a cap gun, shooting people, and then he kind of came on stage, and Wake on Tablets had just come out of that time, and he sat on stage and he, and he illustrated his life, and you know it was when he had the film Two Cars One Night was quite popular. Or he won, a, he won an Oscar for that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that was that was definitely memorable. Um, and um, and then you kind of go through to, to Aries. We had like last year, sorry, this year in, in Sydney, Aries Moros. She did the same thing, I think. <clears throat> she did a timeline of her life, and it was really. I think what, what, what the best speakers are is someone who actually speaks from the heart, and that's what we always encourage them. They get emotional on stage, they kind of pull it, the, you know, it's a therapy session. Like pretty much every talk someone has to retrospectively look into their life and take a point of view of where they're at and where they see things going it is effectively a therapeutic process so she illustrated life and then you know, she gave me one gold kind of thing out of that talk was um, don't design don't find the role and, and fill it find the person that you want to work for. if you find the person you want to work with design the role around them 
so like I think the, the other most impactful thing, the other one was um, I think Revolver back in the day said they shared a project that they worked on with like Hyundai and they made six million dollars whatever it was and their business went backwards four years or well, three years, whatever he said, I think it was. So he said, like, what you say no to defines you. It was the crappest work, the biggest budget, and no one wanted to work with them afterwards. So I think some of those things are really pulled on my on my heartstrings. Oh, Chip Kid, he gave a piece of art history. He gave a eulogy on stage that no one knew was happening. And at the end of his talk, he played the radio, the New York radio station clip around his partner of 30 years dying. Everyone was just like... Everyone just bawled their eyes out and they sort of dropped the mic and walked off. So I think those have always been the most impactful, just having a you know a really authentic conversation about where you're at, the struggles you've had, um, the insights you've gained. Um, and, you know, I'm a general optimist, so things that have, you know, aligned with hope, you know, and positive outcomes that have come from real negative positions. And how do you go about finding the best speakers for that? Like, are you... Uh, you know, on all the TED Talks that you off to other conferences? Are you having the network for, like, who the great storytellers are? Yeah. I think we, we don't really... I mean, TED, no. I, I haven't watched a lot of TEDs, even though some of them are on there, definitely. Um, you, you you have to sort of, like... You, you're right. Like, I think a crap talker, someone who can't present, it's not great. Um, so you have to sort of weed those out. Like, this is actually, you know, I'll ask you a question a second, but I think you've got to weed them out. And actually kind of challenged. And also, they, they don't have to be like that. We've had, like, um, people who are terrible talkers, but they're, they're very iconic and they're just awkward, and that's okay. Because, I mean, like, even in Paris, like, you know, they're, you know, phenomenal, um, you know, pair of designers out of Paris, you know, very flamboyant. I remember I had them at the hotel. <laughs> I put them in a corporate hotel, and he goes, this hotel is uh, too, uh, uh, too business-like. I do not like it. <laughs> and then, so he booked himself into, like, a... You know, Victorian bloody villa. Um, so I think, like you know, they, they, they first and foremost they need you need to kind of once you once you find them they need to be kind of you know kind of a sound speaker. Really, you can have a conversation. Like you can literally go like, what, what, "What were you happy about? What are you sad about?" Like really, kind of have a personal conversation with them about life, and then you can kind of understand where they're at and where they're coming from. So you actually have a almost a therapy session with them first and go, okay, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, and this is where I'm going. Finding them is relatively easy. Like designing a curation mix is you've got to have names because that sells tickets, but then there's sort of the people that are coming through that can blend in that are kind of the best in their craft, and then you can create a story around them and get them either it's visual or it's um, or it's interesting around some sort of you know global theme or global conscience. So, yeah, they're, they're relatively easy, and we've got a network now, so we just sort of go, you know, design, film, architecture. Who's doing the most interesting stuff in architecture right now? You know, Snowhead is pretty cool. Um, you know, they're out of, out of Norway. Um, we've got a really interesting uh, company who just built the largest um, timber building in the world, speaking in semi-permanent. Um, so, like, LHR. So, yeah, we, we just sort of just dial in our network. And if we don't know... Um, we just ring people. I'd ask you, like, you know, I could ask you, you probably had 100 people through the podcast. It was the best, you know, podcast that you've had on. Um, so, like, you know, it's just kind of using your, using your brain. And also we've got great people. Like, we've got an amazing creative director now <clears throat> who pretty much leads our curation. Um, he's, you know, but he admits it as well. Like, he admits, like, as I shared with you earlier, like, you have to kind of 
un- understand the, 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 a lot of companies we're finding now are designing banks for 12-year-olds. They're not designing banks for you and I or for the old generation. They're designing banks for the new generation. So, you know, and a lot of companies also we speak to are going all in on youth insights. So I think like w- w- the job we still need to do is actually work with our, we've got like amazing team of like, we've got 18, 19, got 21-year-olds. They're all born in the in the, tw- was it, 2000s? Fucking didn't really say that word. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we just have to talk to them, but also filter out all their bullshit. Um, and, yeah, so yeah, th- that's the mix. It's not that complicated, you know. It's what we've done for 20 years. Um, and also what we do for a lot of clients now as well. Mm. And who is semi-permanent for? Like, who's the ideal um, guest to head along? Mm. And, and how's that changed over the years? Yeah, well, I looked at our um, stats the other day. Like, we, we, we effectively, we service um, the, the pure SP brand services the communication industry. So, um, you know, creatives at, at, at all levels, so advertising, design, you know, and, and visual visual design, graphic design. Um, the, the more serious side of the program, we sort of did, like, for example, in Wellington, we sort of curated a program around more product um, strategy, creative entrepreneurship, really successful brands uh, like, you know, Fix and Fog, the founder, Roman there. We've got Karen Walker, you know. She's got a great story to tell. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. You know, her sort of philosophies move from, you know, designing a product to sell to the world to go and find the best crochet or the best wool maker. And now she works with them to master that craft and take that and then take that to the world. You know, it's, it's grounded in, in Aotearoa and it's grounded in, um, in working with craft and that's actually something we're thinking about a lot to potentially in the brand going forward is like, well, do we go back to the crafts? Like, what it like, you know, there's a little bit of a renaissance now around craft. Like, do we go back to the craft? Is that an interesting space to play in? Because um, you look at all the modern day, you know, UX designers, uh, UI designers, they all come from architecture or they've all come from product. Um, so, yeah, it's services that, that complete creative industries, but the, there's not a lot of money to sell tickets to that sometimes as well. So, like, designing a more of a, you know, a serious product is something that's in the works um, to service more of the, more of the sort of the front end of the, of the business industry. Um, you know, I've shared that story before, but I won't share that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would your advice be for people who are interested in, um, you know, creating great events and experiences like how do people go about doing something like that I think you sort of work out the why it's like anything like you have to work out the why why are you doing it and why you like our challenge is now you think about um, uh, the like Salesforce they do, they do Dreamforce the budget for that is 600 million dollars 600 million dollars for Dreamforce so that's their like the zero con thing the zero does um it's funny, I just got an email back from Zero saying, I oh, know we can't, we can't see any people, our budgets have been cut, even though I spend more money on them than they want to spend on tickets. The, 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 the idea of building a platform is brands are trying to, and, I, and this is what I would encourage anyone to do, they're building their own platforms. You should own your own data, own your own platform, own your own voice, own your own event. And, and that's the challenge we're facing. Like, how do we then cross section all those, um, you know, from a creative industry's point of view? Um, the why is important. Why are you doing it? Is it to make money? Is it to uh, change a narrative? Um, is it to is it marketing? Is it for is it for recruitment? Like you work out work out the why, um, and then or is it to is it to celebrate a moment? Um, 
and I think really quickly you can kind of weed out all the cracks. Everyone thinks it's easy. They're really not. It's really not hard building a strong event platform. Like we've got, <clears throat> you know, we should have a database of over a million people now. We've got a database of over 100,000. But building that kind of foundation around a strong brand, it takes years. Like it's taken us 20 years and we're still trying to master the craft. Um, if you've got money, it's easy. Like you think of someone like you know Salesforce. They go right. I was going to dump a whole lot of money, hire a big venue, put on all the stuff, and it's just open with Rihanna, you know. <laughs> exactly, and, and yeah. that's great. You, yeah. you got there. But if generally if you're running, if you're wanting to build your own platform, um, <clears throat> you've got to be really clear around it, around the vision for what it is and what it's not. So, and as a final thought, what will success be for you and for your company? Yeah, yeah that's a really interesting thing. I mean, success. Um, we're only ever as good as our last project, I think, is, is always success. So I think, like, success is actually, like, hearing stories, um, meeting, success is just meeting, all, all we're trying to do, like, as a platform is to continue to connect the creative industries globally and it's to continue to influence. I think, like, you know, the bureaucracy and the business and the world, are they going to affect change or is it going to be the people who are coming from underneath and is it creative industries going to affect change? And that's our belief that we need to keep fostering that and we sort of chatted about it earlier before we got on stage around, you know, creative industries always takes the hit. Um, design industries always take the hit. Technology industries are a little bit insulated. They're the ones that are going to sort of foster that kind of that soft, soft space, the empathy space. You know, I think what, what I'm seeing with the youth coming through now is, and with social media and the acceleration of, you know, getting conversations into market, is there is a groundswell happening. And I think, you know, around even your last speech you just had on around sustainability, back, like one of our partners, BNZ, like really interesting, like end of their arc, they're on this ESG, environmental sustainability governance journey, and all corporates are right now. Uh, at the end of their arc, they get to choose their customers based on a value set that they've created around environmental sustainability and governance, so looking after people and planet, which I think is fantastic. And, like, having conversations now, like, you know, we've got Deloitte Digital as a partner, you know, like, they, they you've got now mainstream corporates buying up creativity. Is it a bad thing? No, it's not. It's democratising creativity. It's fantastic. Like, more creativity and more design in the world creates better conversation, better thought-provoking conversations, and all we are is just one cognitive engine. So success for us is just seeing the world um, evolving in a beautiful way, you know, from a spiritual point of view, not in the sense of religion, um, and positive impacts happening through, like, you know, look at, like, the, the drama that Patagonia created when they gave away their kind of their company, like that there is success for us. You know, we don't see ourselves as like a, um, you know, uh, above or below anyone. We're just part of an ecosystem. So success for us is, is those conversations, like is seeing impact in the world and it's like having amazing conversations with speakers, seeing them connect in and meet each other and then go, go off and collaborate, success. People walking up to you in the street going, ah, oh, I did this and I remember that, and you hear that person that that success for us. Um, seeing someone walking around with an SP bag on, they actually like what we're making. That's success, um, you know. And I always go, oh, nice bag, <laughs> you know. I see it, you know, like you know, like they're just the little moments, you know. Like, and, and that's all we can do, like you know, the, you know, there's the big stuff and the little stuff, and that's just who we are. It's pretty straightforward. Ah, it's magic, man. Well, congrats on 20 years of creating those connections and being a big kind of like um, positive force for culture. It's a magic <laughs> yeah. thing. And, you know, everyone everyone has their semi-permanent moment. So, yeah, uh, yeah Kelda, thank you for being Kelda. here today and sharing that story. Thank you, Mr. Pound. 
And so thank you to Simon Velvin of Semi Permanent, to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Te Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave us a review. If you like what we do, Inohora. From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.